when you listen to the Bank of Canada and the Fed, it certainly sounds like they would rather over-tighten rather than under-tighten and have the risk of inflation come back in the near future. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the U.S. earnings season closes out, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Om Komalkar, and your host, Erica Toth, inspect companies' report cards, putting the Magnificent Seven under the microscope. They also discuss dividend strategies, Canada's inflation rate, energy, and U.S. dollar-denominated ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Hello, and welcome to our 201st episode of our BMO ETFs Weekly Views from the Desk podcast. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and also for providing us with your questions and comments every week. I'm Erica Toth. I'm Director of ETF Distribution for Eastern Canada at BMO Global Asset Management, and I'll be your host for today. I'm joined by my colleagues Alfred Lee and Om Karmulkar. Both are portfolio managers at BMO ETFs. So let's kick things off with you, Om. Some of the big news in the markets this week is that the majority of companies have reported earnings in the U.S., how were the earnings and what is your outlook based on that, Om? Thanks, Erica. Thanks for having me. Majority of companies in the S&P 500 have already reported earnings for Q3. And from an earnings perspective, it has been interesting. So despite lingering recession fears, earnings have inflected up, which makes it the first quarter since last year where earnings have turned positive. So the S&P 500 is set to notch its first quarter of earnings growth in a year. So it's estimated to be around 5% at the top level. So it's a it's a good sign that the top level earnings have recovered from a earnings recession, you can say. But again, you know, we can make sweeping generalizations about the entire market or sectors. So if you kind of break down that earnings and we look at certain sectors such as healthcare, energy, and materials, they're actually lagging this quarter. So if you were to exclude these sectors from the earnings, S&P 500 at the top level, earnings were actually up close to 10%, which is a very good and strong number. You know, if you look at, for example, healthcare, it's understandable why their earnings were down uh, compared to last year. Last year, they had a lot more demand for their drugs and vaccinations. So COVID, uh, COVID vaccinations, COVID pills, equipments. However, you know, coming into 2023, a lot of that demand has waned away. And that's why we saw earnings on, you know, that sector get hit. Now, you know, if we move to a, a positive sector for 2023, you know, every, I would say everyone's favorite sector, you know, the technology, and we can talk about kind of the magnificent seven, they delivered very strong earnings again uh, in Q3, starting with Microsoft, you know, I won't go into each and every single one, but to highlight, you know, the magnificent seven overall, you know, Microsoft, again, delivered better than expected earnings, showed that, you know, the software company is strongly positioned in cloud and AI uh, growth. Similar story with Meta, very strong earnings. 
indicated that the growth will continue for the rest of the year. Again, you know, we saw these companies make deep cost cuts. You know, they retooled their ad businesses. They limited their new spending to uh, what they saw as solid bets. So for example, in Microsoft's case would be, you know, more AI, you know, in terms of meta, it was more augmented reality. And then we did see in this, uh, in this quarter, you know, digital ad market showing signs of recovery um, based on, you know, the earnings we saw from Alphabet and again from meta. From an earnings perspective, uh, I would say it was a solid quarter uh, for, for the markets. Now, outlook based on that, you know, we, we have been hearing about potential recession for a while. And, you know, we did see U.S. Fed reserves raise interest rates, but they they haven't raised interest rates since July. And, you know, it makes sense with kind of the recent inflation prints that did come in lower. So, you know, we might be kind of near the end of the hiking cycle. And the reason the market hasn't really taken a nosedive or another way of you know, putting it as markets willing to take more risk this year is because the factors that caused a lot of anxiety uh, in 2022, like accelerating inflation, aggressive rate hikes from not just the feds, but, you know, across uh, across the globe and the kind of the zero COVID policy in China, all those risks or anxiety is receding. Having said that, there are still a few headwinds that investors should be aware of. Uh, you know, mainly kind of the geopolitical tensions in Europe and Middle East. And also, you know, the pivotal moment where we're waiting to see kind of the magnitude of the economic pullback, if any, in the U.S. and whether it stays within manageable limits uh, as per market expectations. To quickly summarize from a market perspective, we are cautiously optimistic, you know, taking into account the better than expected earnings the improving economic landscape with, you know, inflation prints coming in cooling in the recent quarter. I would say it's very important, you know, the role of the Fed and upcoming data will play a very crucial role uh, in kind of shaping the market's direction. So every print, not just on CPI, but also on jobs will will play a very important role uh, going forward. Uh, You know, having said that, the way investors can get exposure uh, in this environment is through, I would say, ZDY, which is our BMO US Dividend ETF, or ZWH, which is BMO US Covered Call ETF. You know, and in this environment, I would say it's very important to have a very diversified exposure and having a very diversified exposure from a sector perspective as well. And both these ETFs, ZDY and ZWH, provide that not hold not just holding blue chip companies, but also holding blue chip companies and growth sectors such as technology. So, so companies such as Apple and Microsoft. Finally, I'll just add that ZWH is, you know, it provides clients with additional income source uh, through call writing. So it's a great tool for investors who are looking for additional uh, monthly income to boost their uh, monthly cash flows. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's Money Market and Ultra Short-Term Bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZUCM, ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS.
Well, I'm staying with you for a moment. Uh, a lot of the market movement on the upside has been led this year by growth-oriented and, and technology names. So you highlighted, uh, you know, some of the dividend strategies that that we run that that do also hold some of those names. Um, I want to ask you: the more defensive, low volatility factor has lagged year to date. It did extremely well last year, but this year in 2023, it's been lagging. What's your outlook on that going forward? And what would you suggest that investors uh, implement as a strategy using this factor? Yeah, you're right. Year-to-date strategy has uh, definitely lagged the broad market. Before I kind of dive into what's causing this lag, you know, I just want to take a step back and just explain what we mean by low volatility. So this concept of low volatility isn't new. It's an equity strategy that tries to invest uh, you know, with all things being equal in less risky stocks versus higher risky stocks. For example, it would invest in grocery companies instead of a junior miner. So the number one goal of the strategy is to accomplish less drawdown. And this puts the investor in a better position to have good returns going forward. So you win by not losing. But if you if you take a you know step back and you look at it from a from the strategy perspective, you know, these strategies tend to be more overweight, interest rate sensitive sectors because they tend to be more defensive versus the broad market. Why did the strategies lag in 2023? First, you know, the strong growth rally. So at the beginning of the year, we, you know, we saw the broad market, broad equity markets rally, but most of those returns were driven by the technology sector. So the adoption of AI technology fueled a growth rally, which prompted a shift from these traditionally stable and defensive companies to more growth-oriented companies. And second was rising interest rates. So as central banks have hiked interest rates, the valuations of these interest rate-sensitive stocks or sectors have been pressured. So when interest rates rise, fixed-income investments like bonds and GICs become more attractive, and interest rate-sensitive stocks and sectors start to lose their appeal as they, you know, as investors seek higher yields from the alternative options. That being said, looking forward, we are still constructive on low volatility equities, given that we will continue to see bouts of volatility in the equity market driven by uh, the data that comes out. And of course, you know, as I mentioned previously, some of the geopolitical tensions that we're seeing in Europe and Middle East. It's a great strategy to hold, especially for investors who are concerned about downside and want to skew away from cyclical sectors. Uh, you know, these strategies tend to be very complementary as well. And it's a pure play approach, which looks very different from the index. So hence, it translates into providing the portfolio diversification. And one thing we know is diversification is good. It's one, you know, it's a free lunch in investing. If you kind of look at from a Fed perspective, you know, as I mentioned previously, they have hit the pause button on rate hikes. We haven't seen Fed's uh, hike since, uh, since July. And with the recent inflation prints coming in cooler or, you know, uh, coming in cooler, you know, we might be near the end of the hiking cycle. This could put more tailwind uh, to the strategy as, you know, uh, as I mentioned Previously, as these strategies tend to invest in more interest rate sensitive sectors. In terms of, you know, how investors can implement uh, using this factor, 
I would say, you know, one of the best ways to utilize this factor is in a barbell approach with the growth factor. So this barbell strategy provides exposure to both defensive and growth exposures. ZLU, for example, which is the BMO US low volatility ETF, provides more defensive low volatility exposure while combining it with ZNQ, which is the BMO NASDAQ index ETF, provides that growth exposure. And this kind of barbell approach has provided a much better risk-adjusted return versus the broad market. A similar strategy can be implemented within the Canadian market as well using ZLB, which is the BMO Canadian Low Volatility ETF, combining it with ZCN, which is the BMO TSX Composite Index ETF. So again, you know, finally, given the current headwinds and given that there will be volatility in the market, uh, you know, we expect a balanced approach with exposure to both defensive and growth equities can potentially add value to investors while managing risk. Thanks for that, Om. Turning our attention now to the other big news of this week, uh, the new CPI numbers for Canada were just released yesterday. Alfred, over to you now. What does these uh, new CPI numbers mean for inflation and for interest rates? Yeah, you're right. Um, So we definitely got the CPI number yesterday in Canada that came in at 3.1%. So that was largely in line with expectations uh, for the October number. So the good news is that we are trending in the right direction. So just as a fresh reminder, when you look at the CPI that came in last month, that came in at 3.8%. So the concern over the last couple of months was that inflation, both in Canada and the U.S., was potentially reaccelerating. So um, the good news is that, again, you know, we are back towards uh, trending lower, um, you know, that trend is also congruent with what we're seeing in the U.S. as well. Um, so the U.S. CPI number came in last week. Um, so just as a reminder, that came in at 3.2 percent. Um, and the month prior to that, that came in at 3.7 percent. So overall, I think this is good news for the market. Um, I think we are inching closer to the target rate of 2 percent uh, that the central banks, primarily the Bank of Canada and the Fed, like to keep. Um, so the good news is that, you know, the, all the monetary tightening that we've seen over the last year, year and a half, um, I think it, the good news is that it seems to be having an effect in terms of cooling inflation. Uh, when you look deeper into the economic numbers as well, especially in Canada, it definitely suggests that the Canadian economy is cooling. Uh, so when you look at the Canadian GDP numbers, for example, uh, the last reading came in at 0.9%. Um, so all in all, I think, you know, what the central banks like to see is, lower inflation coupled with a slowing economy, which means that the potential for inflation to reignite is is certainly lower with a slower economy. So right now, you know, unless we get a reacceleration of inflation in coming months, I think, um, you know, I would agree with Ohm saying that the likelihood that, you know, this provides confirmation to the market that, you know, we are um, pretty close or if not done to seeing hikes by both the Bank of Canada and the Fed. Um, so right now, you know, when you look at interest rate futures, the interest rate futures are showing some pretty aggressive cuts uh, for 2024, both by the Fed and the Bank of Canada. To a degree, I would say, you know, if you look at the market rally over the last couple of weeks, especially, I would say currently the market, you know, probably is getting a little bit ahead of itself just in terms of projecting, you know, many rate cuts and also aggressive rate cuts for 2024. So right now. The market is pricing at least three quarter point moves by both central banks in 2024. 
Um, so, I, you know, one thing I want to point out is that, you know, when you listen to the Bank of Canada and the Fed, it certainly sounds like they would rather over tighten rather than under tighten and have the risk of inflation come back in the near future. So I think, um, you know, from a central bank's perspective, uh, what that means is that they probably want to see CPI numbers in the low 2% range, if not lower, uh, coupled with slowing economic data before they are comfortable with cutting rates. Um, so digging through the CPI numbers just to get, you know, a little bit deeper in the CPI numbers. I think the positive is that when you look at the inflation and where it's coming from, it's coming from primarily Ontario and Quebec. So the rest of the provinces, uh, the good news is that they are starting to see some disinflationary pressure. Um, also, when it comes to the components, it's really shelter. Um, that was the main concern. Uh, but when you look at, you know, shelter, it kind of makes sense, right? So when interest rates go up, it's natural that uh, mortgage payments would go up. Also, rent is set uh, due to mortgage rates as well. So the shelter component to me isn't that concerning. Uh, the numbers that were more concerning, especially up until two weeks ago, was the uh, energy component. So over the last two weeks, energy prices have been moving down, which should provide some relief. That should lead to additional disinflationary pressures as well. Um, so I think we are moving in the right track just in terms of, you know, where inflation is moving. As I mentioned, I think the one thing is that the market probably is getting ahead of itself a little bit. So when you look at ZUE, which is our S&P 500, hedged to the Canadian dollar, uh, using the hedge version just to strip out the effect of currency, uh, month to date, that's up 8.2%. Uh, ZQQ, which is the NASDAQ hedge DTF, that's up 10.5% month to date. So, um, you know, we're only three months into November. So, again, I think the market is probably getting a, ahead of itself a little bit. Looking further out, um, you know, I would agree with them saying that you probably want to focus on more defensive growth factors. So quality is a number, another one to focus on in addition to dividends as well. But in terms of quality, you know, what we focus on with our quality ETFs is high return on equity, stable year over year earnings growth and low financial leverage as well. So uh, given that, you know, my take at least is that just the rate cuts that is projected into the market. Is probably a little bit aggressive. You know, keep in mind uh, the market also anticipated rate cuts in 2023, only for those to be pushed out uh, until 2024. Uh, the likelihood is that we are probably going to see the same in 2024 unless uh, we see a massive deterioration in, in inflation. So I think as a result of that, we're probably going to see rates higher for a longer period of time than the market in, anticipates. So as a result of that, I think, you know, the uh, low debt loads of quality companies. I think that allows investors to focus on more durable balance sheets as well. So we do have a number of quality ETFs, uh, ZGQ, which is the global quality, ZEQ, which is the Europe quality hedge to the Canadian dollar, and ZUQ as well, uh, which is the U.S. quality. Personally, I like the U.S. quality. That's a good way to get exposure to um, a factor that has been performing very well year to date, but also because of its tech component, um, it's a safer and more diversified way for investors to get exposure to the tech. In addition to the strong tech names, you're getting, you know, cash-rich technology companies, but also a more diversified portfolio to sectors outside of technology as well. Thanks for that, Alfred. I should also mention that our U.S. high quality, the ZUQ, comes in two additional currency versions. So we have a hedged to Canadian dollar option 
for the U.S. quality. The ticker is ZUQ.F as in Frank. And we have a U.S. dollar purchase option as well. The ticker being ZUQ.U for those with U.S. dollars to invest. Want to reduce the risk of market timing or increase near-term growth? Our new range of BMO structured outcome ETFs can help you dial down risk or dial up equity returns. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZOCT, ZUEA, and ZEBA. So staying with you, Alfred, for a moment, um, also this week, a temporary ceasefire was announced in the Middle East. What do you think this could mean for oil prices? Yeah, so we did get a recent announcement that Israel and Hamas agreed to a four-day truce. Um, So first and foremost, uh, ceasefire will be good from a humanitarian standpoint. Um, But from a market's perspective, I think it's also positive just from a geopolitical level. Um, A call for a ceasefire in the past um, by other countries has been rejected in the past. So I think, again, from a humanitarian standpoint, this is uh, good news. But from an oil perspective, I think it's likely that it's going to cause some additional downward pressure in, in oil prices. Um, so if I look at Brent crude prices, the front month contract, that's down about 18% since its September peak. Um, it was also recently announced that the OPEC Plus meeting, which was scheduled for this weekend, that's been delayed uh, until November 30th. So it's been pushed out a week. Um, we looked at the website. There wasn't really a, a reason given for why that was postponed. But it's been speculated that the reason why is because Saudi Arabia, which has been making a cut of roughly about one million barrels per day. So it's been cutting its output since July. Uh, They're not really happy just in terms of the production cut levels from other member nations. The likelihood is that, you know, over the short term, we're probably going to see some volatility in oil prices. Uh, But as we stated in the past, you know, I think over the longer term. So if you're looking up five years, 10 years uh, we are bullish on oil um, just because of, you know, obviously the transition. So the future is obviously clean energy. But until we get there, there's going to be a lot of demand for fossil fuels. And as we stated in the past, you know, in, in other podcasts, when you look at a lot of the fossil fuel companies, they've been hesitant to invest in infrastructure just because of the uncertainty in terms of the outlook on where they want demand for fossil fuels or, or you know, how they want to uh, transition into clean energy. So a lot of them have been hesitant to invest in infrastructure that increases the capacity for fossil fuels. But over the short term, as I mentioned, you know, we're probably going to see some volatility in oil prices, um, especially if economic data continues to cool off as well. So uh, overall, I think lower oil prices is probably good for the overall market um, just because it creates additional deflationary pressure, uh, which puts, you know, less need for the Fed or the Bank of Canada to hike rates. Overall, while it's good for the broader market, obviously this is going to create a headwind for energy stocks over the short term. Um, But we do have a couple of ways for investors to play energy. Uh, The first one is ZEO, which is our equal weight oil and gas ETF. That one has a dividend yield of 4.8%. The good news about this ETF is that, one, it's a good way to invest in Canadian energy. Uh, but also when you look at the underlying cash flow from operations and the trend in those cash flows, they've continued to increase because of oil prices, that's been good for revenue and profits. But because, again, because they've been hesitant to invest in infrastructure, 
Um, the one way they've been giving back or spending that money is that uh, just giving it back to investors, which is increasing dividends. Um, so for that ETF, you know, over the past year, we've continued to increase its distribution rate. Again, its dividend yield right now is 4.8%. Uh, the other way we have for investors to get exposure to energy is our covered call energy ETF. So that dividend yield is 8.7%. So in addition to Canadian energy companies, we're also uh, investing in U.S. energy companies in this one as well. Uh, we also have the addition of the covered call overlay. Um, so you're getting the dividends but also the additional yield through the covered call overlay as well. I'll end off by adding one note just in terms of North American energy. With the volatility and the potential disruption in the Middle East, um, I think that is probably good for uh, North American oil just because if you take Middle East oil off the grid, that is going to put additional demand for uh, North American energy. So um, I think that leaves North American energy companies in uh, potentially a better spot. Um, but again, um, you know, the good way or potential ways for investors to play it is through uh, ZEO, which is uncovered, and ZWEN, uh, which is the covered call strategy on energy. Thanks for that, Alfred. Uh, one of the questions that came in from a listener this week is regarding the BMO lineup of U.S. dollar denominated ETFs trading on the TSX. Uh, this listener wanted to know if these ETFs are suitable for a RIF account. So I'd like to turn this over to you, Om. Uh, what are some of the advantages of our U.S. dollar, as we call them, our .U ETFs? Yeah, for sure. So the .U ETFs are U.S.-denominated ETFs, so it's not a hedged product. This product actually trades in the U.S. dollar. Basically, what the way it works is you use your USD to purchase the ETF. Any income or dividend that you receive is paid out in USD. And if you were to sell the ETF, all the proceeds you would get will be in USD as well. So generally speaking, uh, you know, a lot of Canadians have decent amount of U.S. dollars, you know, which they might need for future. So one of the biggest benefits of having the .U ETF is allowing these Canadians that have a lot of U.S. dollars to invest without having to convert, uh, convert their money. So as we know, exchange conversion fees can be very expensive. You know, they can vary anywhere from 0.5% to as much as 3%. So being able to avoid that conversion fee is a great benefit. A lot of Canadians like to travel to the U.S. during wintertime or have children in universities or are just traveling for leisure. So the ability to match your cash flows coming from the .U ETFs and matching it versus your expenses, uh, which is in USD, without having to worry again about exchange fees and makes it much easier to manage. Again, you know, it's a great, Great tools to have uh, within a portfolio for clients who are looking for that uh, USD uh, solution. Third one, you know, this might not be applicable to kind of RIF account, but if you have a taxable account, you know, there's no U.S. estate tax export. So even though the .EU ETF holds U.S. dollars or equities or bonds, it actually it is actually considered a Canadian asset because it's trading in Canada. And plus, you don't have to fill out the T1135 tax form, which can be hassle, which can be a hassle. Uh, so, you know, simple is always better. Uh, in terms of some of the solutions that we offer, I know you already mentioned uh, ZUQ.U. 
you know, on the income side, we have the BMO US high dividend covered call ETFs, ZWH.U as well. We also have the BMO Canadian, BMO covered call Canadian bank ETFs, ZWB.U. For investors looking kind of for the broad market exposure, we have ZSP.U, which is BMO S&P 500 index ETF. So a lot of different options available uh, in the .U series. Thank you very much for walking us through that, Om. That's all the time we have for today. So I'd like to thank all of the listeners for joining us. And of course, to our portfolio managers, Alfred and Om, for sharing their insights on this week's market events. Till next time, take care, everyone. Thank you to Erica Toth, Alfred Lee, and Om Kolmurkar for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO U.S. Dividend ETF, ticker ZDY, which seeks to provide sustainable income with lower volatility than the market. Our experts also discussed U.S. dollar-denominated ETFs, the BMO S&P 500 Index ETF in U.S. dollar units, ticker ZSP.U, tracks the securities of the largest and most liquid public companies in the U.S., and it has no U.S. estate tax exposure. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.